This is episode 24 with Jennifer Wong. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface podcast. Our guest today is one of the recipients of Forbes 2018 30 Under 30 in marketing and advertising. She recently became VP of marketing at a fast-growing tracking startup called Convoy, and she's also a digital marketing adjunct professor at the University of Washington. Before Convoy, Jennifer was the VP of marketing at Tune, a 350-person tech startup that she helped scale up by overseeing global marketing, public relations, and planning and hosting premium events. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me in a sunny day in Seattle in a, a study room at a library to record this. Thank you so much for having me. It was great just to be able to see you again after so many years. I know, it's been a while, it's been a while. Um, well, you know, to get things started, can you tell me a little bit about what was your childhood like? We're going to go that far. Sure. Uh, I, I do think it is surprising to say that I actually am from Seattle. Uh, so I actually grew up in Issaquah. Mm -hmm. um, both of my parents still live out there. I also have a younger sister who's two years younger than me. Um, but growing up, I think as I reflect back, one of the things that I never knew was different about mm -hmm. my childhood is that my parents were entrepreneurs. Mm. So they actually started their own business in the kitchenware houseware industry. So I would always get to experience uh, being at a, a kitchen store and doing inventory on the weekends or even after school. Mm -hmm. I would be able to see them have a whole floor of invoices and bills and going through that process. Mm -hmm. And I never realized that it was different from all of my other friends. It was something where friends never really talk about what your parents are doing. You just don't have conversations mm -hmm. like that in elementary or middle school. But I think just the way that we interacted at home because of the whole work-life integration growing up mm -hmm. uh, has really made me reflect on how I appreciate and live or make some of the decisions that I make today. Mm -hmm. well, were your parents uh, born here too, in the US? They weren't. My mom is actually from Seoul and my dad mm -hmm. is from Hong Kong. Coincidentally, right. they actually both came to Seattle when they were about... 12. Oh, well, they met here. So they met here. They both met at UW. Oh, and right. I actually went to UW as well. My whole family are UW alumnus. <laughs> That's great. Uh, who would you say influenced you most growing up? Yeah, I, I, I do think it is my parents. Uh -huh. um, just because my parents were so involved in my life day to day. Because my parents didn't have typical nine to five jobs, they were always around. Like, for example, after school, my mom would always be there. I never experienced having a babysitter. And I always felt like, man, I, I wish I had those moments. You always see how much kids have fun with the babysitter. But for me, it was always with my parents. Mm -hmm. um, but they were so influential because I think one of the things that I realized is that the way that they interacted with myself and my sister, they did give us uh, a lot of ownership and control of the decisions that we were making. Mm -hmm. So as an example, I never grew up 
having restricted TV time or not being able to eat sweets. It was more of they would actually give me and my sister the option to make those decisions ourselves. And they were great I, coaches. <laughs> I think they were coaching us through those decisions. And even growing up, I, I don't have a single memory of my parents asking for grades. Mm -hmm. I don't think my parents ever knew the grades that I was getting in school. But at home, there was an expectation that I should be making the most of the time, that they'd be proud if I was doing well in school so it was never something that we had to have a conversation around it mm -hmm. yeah it's the show don't tell it is <laughs> right? at what point did you realize you had a passion for marketing how 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 it is that you were able to discover and realize that you had this high enthusiasm for that specific career path sure so, so Like I mentioned, I went to school at UW and I actually started in the communications program and mm -hmm. I did finish with a communications degree. But along the way, I also was really interested in business. I think, mm -hmm. of course, yeah, growing up with entrepreneur parents. So I took a lot of classes in the business school. And from that, one thing I really enjoyed and would recommend to anybody is actually the sales program at Foster. That actually felt like an experience where I got to understand what it would be like in the working world, the types of skill sets that I would need, something that you don't necessarily read out of a textbook, mm -hmm. but it's more of actionable ways how you could think about developing the skills that you actually need in uh, a workplace. It's almost like an, an apprenticeship versus something learning out of a textbook. Got it. This is like the internships part of the yes, sales program, right? It is the internship. And with the internship, when that came around during spring quarter, surprisingly, during my senior year, I didn't go through the whole interview process. And a lot of my friends were going into consulting. So they mm -hmm. knew where they were going to end up by winter quarter, their senior year. But for me, I actually talked with my professor at that time and asked if there were any cool opportunities or great people to meet mm -hmm. to do my internship with. And I ended up at Optify under a sales leader there, Sam Wheeler. He was actually one of the first salespeople at Amazon. He had a great career there. And for me, I thought it was really important to seek mentorship mm -hmm. when I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do after school. For me, it was about like still learning about what I wanted to do. And for me, I always had been interested in technology. So joining a startup company that was in the marketing technology space under a great sales leader was kind of my ideal situation to jump into my career right so after school. You ended up targeting that specific company because of a recommendation by your professor. Exactly. So I mm -hmm. asked for any recommendations he had specifically just on interesting people that I could potentially learn from. So it was a relationship-driven decision. It I was, guess. yeah. Now, you were looking at the UDAP, and you know, I guess the, the story that I hear a lot is business because if you don't know what else to do, usually business is a safe choice. That's, that's what I've heard. And then you specifically thought about communications at that time. What uh, inspired you to, to uh, pursue communications? What was the, the vision when you were looking at that uh, program? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have had a vision at that time. Uh, I was maybe a little naive, uh -huh. but I did just enjoy all of the different classes. Mm -hmm. So every class that I took in the communication department, I honestly enjoyed them versus having to take some classes where I'm like, oh man, this feels like a waste of a whole quarter because I don't really enjoy what I'm learning. Mm. I think some of those classes are okay because they are eventually valuable. I'm going to say accounting for me was very tough to take, but it's probably <laughs> one of the most valuable classes if you want to join a startup because mm -hmm. you know how a business operates. Mm -hmm. But from, from communication, you take mass communication, interpersonal communications. There's just so many different aspects of it. And I think now in marketing, communication is such a big part of it. Of course. So it was the the experimentation that you went through when you're taking all these random classes at the beginning of like the first two years mm -hmm. of college, right? You said that one of your proudest accomplishments was teaching a marketing class at the UDAP. You did this for a publication, DMN. What, could you tell us a little bit about what, what is exactly the role of an adjunct professor and how did you become one at the UDAP? Sure. Uh, so how I got approached in the first place was actually the same professor that I just mentioned in the sales program. He knew I started a career in marketing. So about three years, we kept in touch. And about three years later, there was an opening for that program. So it's UW Professional and Continuing Education. There's a few different marketing certificate programs. And the one that I'm teaching in is marketing management, where there's a series of three different classes, the full year. And I was teaching a class about promotion. Mm -hmm. And when he approached me about that, it was something that I was excited about because in a marketing role, I've always been doing marketing for a marketing company. So my audience were always marketers. Mm -hmm. And I always love that because it's like chatting with your friends. You yeah. have the same terminology, you know what's going on, you know the people to talk about, the new trends and topics. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought that would be a great experience uh, to meet new marketers or people that wanted to get into marketing where I could hopefully teach them some skills but also give them some more direction to explore what type of marketing they would be interested in. Because I also think when you talk about the world of marketing, there are so many different aspects. If I say I'm a marketer and you're a marketer, our two worlds can be completely different. Mm -hmm. What is the time commitment uh, to be an adjunct professor? Because I understand when you embarked into this new opportunity, you, you, were in a nine, you're, you still have a nine-to-five uh, career going on, right? Exactly. Uh, so for me, I was... I did feel like I wanted to commit, not just for one quarter, but so that it would be sustainable to continue mm -hmm. uh, for multiple years. And it's already been four years since then. But the time commitment um, is actually just once a quarter. And I, and I teach from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, every single day. So it's 10 weeks straight. And a lot of it is actually just the preparation. Because I do think if you want to teach a quality class as an instructor, you just have to be prepared mm -hmm. and be really thoughtful about how to best use that time. Of course. Yeah. How you um, either put together the engagement in class, whether you're going to lecture or put together projects or in-class working sessions. I think thinking about how to utilize three hours, which is a long time for people to pay attention. Uh, I try to incorporate a lot of different communities communication styles mm -hmm. now after uh, now jumping into the, the the part where you 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 had a fast career path as far as what you would traditionally see from people going from like a marketing manager to marketing director and leading bigger and bigger groups and working for bigger and bigger companies and you've been able to 
climb that ladder all the way to CMO pretty fast. What would you say have been the biggest stepping stones towards accomplishing that for yourself? I'm not sure if there's a stepping stone moment, mm -hmm. but I think for me, I've always had the mindset of doing the best in your current role so that you can prove that someone can trust you with a specific objective or sets of responsibility and you can show that you can deliver. Um, because I do think, like we mentioned already, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. So showing that you can deliver and how you go about actually um, driving those results, I think it becomes seen. So for you, if you were thinking about like if you even wanted to be like in a role where you're managing people versus a very expert or a principal in an execution role, I think those are some decisions that you want to make also um, because I think some people are very great marketers and they're so tactical. They get really deep. They're true experts and they love being that role versus managing a team of marketers. So I think that's also a decision to make also. Mm, and that's what you you enjoyed the managing part i enjoyed both of it uh mm -hmm. sometimes i'm torn i i love diving in in marketing and i think when you if you decide to be in the startup world you always have to do a little bit of both mm -hmm. there's always so much more to be done so you have to love um your product you have to love what you're delivering to customers and then the marketing just comes easy because there's so much changing in marketing so having the appetite to learn and explore to experiment and optimize uh as well as inspire others to do that around you if you're managing a team uh, is something that i always think about I was looking at a Q&A forum and somebody asked you um, a question about how you're able to just focus on one path, right? Uh, I know you had entrepreneurial uh, parents, as you, you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, have you ever been uh, bitten by the entrepreneurial bug while going through this experience of yours and had moments that that had, I would say, distracted you kind of like by doing side things other than Uh, having fun going to bars and meeting up with friends but I'm talking more about like side projects to explore or touch the waters into something different or similar yeah I think I've always actually been really focused on what I'm currently working at knowing that there are specific experiences that I want to gain or skill sets that I want to learn living in Seattle you probably always run into others that are working on really cool projects. Mm -hmm. I think that's always interesting to meet those people and learn about what they're doing. But for me, I see it as kind of a learning opportunity to share ideas and brainstorm versus something where I feel like it's going to be a distraction. Because even in college, I did have some of those entrepreneur moments mm -hmm. where I was an Amazon reseller, being able to sell uh, kitchenware houseware industries right. that my parents were importing or things on eBay. Um, but then when I seriously thought about uh, wanting to develop a career and being great at what I'm doing, if you focus and prioritize that, you naturally just spend more time there. And for me, even when I took on this additional class at UW, mm -hmm. for me, that was like a place where I had to think, Do I have enough time to focus on this? But then I realized, you know, I think this could actually help my current career, my nine to five job at Tune, because you learn different skill sets, teaching, you kind of take a moment and pause to see how you can actually structure the communication and the style and how could you actually teach marketing. Mm -hmm. And those skill sets are valuable to learn to bring back into my um, day job. All right, all right. 
did you uh, on on your way to becoming um, chief marketing officer? Did you at any point get any formal training to go through that transition from individual contributor to management? Um, I would say there are different moments where I've had training. There hasn't been consistent or formal training, but I do think it's a mix of there's a lot of books that you could read out there mm -hmm. um, about management skills. I think there's also a lot of great workshops that you could take. I know Fierce mm -hmm. Conversations, they have a lot of great like workshops yeah. that you can do. Um, and I do think it is a skill that you have to practice. Mm -hmm. If you have the opportunity to mentor others, that could be one way where you think about like how can you be that coach and that servant leader to be able to uh, help support someone else's growth. Um, and then I also did a couple of executive ed classes. There was one at Stanford on interpersonal communication. If you look at the top skill set that's always wanted from an executive, it's always about interpersonal communication. So I think um, I approached it in just learning from a lot of different aspects and interactions in life uh, to be able to build that skill set uh, and bring it into my day job. Mm-hmm. What would be your biggest advice for somebody going through that transition right now from individual contributor to management? Yeah, I, I think my biggest advice is to be really thoughtful and res uh, reflective about it. So don't just let it go by you from one day you're an individual contributor to the next day you're managing a team of 10 people. If you don't take a minute to actually realize that that's the transition that you've gone through, I think you'll still be in the mindset of an individual contributor and you won't be in the mindset of your new role and responsibility to help others succeed. Now, one thing that I like about what you're saying is that you, you, you talk a lot about developing skills. What would you say are the skills that have propelled your fast career growth if you have to really think about let's say maybe three of them uh i don't know if it's a specific skill but maybe it's more of a mindset of being open to learning mm -hmm. i think if because i'm in because uh, i've always been in marketing and technology those happen to be two industries where They're always evolving and there's so many new things to learn. So being able to be like excited about learning those new opportunities and figuring out how they could be applicable in your day to day is just a skill set I, I would always think about. Mm -hmm. um, another would be a skill set of like building relationships. I think you spend so much time at work. Like one aspect that you should think about is like how you can help others be more successful, like bring out the best in others also, because that's kind of something that I have found that has made me proud at the end of the day when I talk about being proud of teaching. It's bringing out the best in new students that want to be in marketing. Mm -hmm. So other than teaching students, uh, as far as building relationships, what are, what, are, what are other things that you do to build relationships on a tactical level? A tactical level. Um, You know, if you see someone in the office that you don't know, say hello. All right. <laughs> Because it does get more awkward as the days go by and you realize that you don't know this person <laughs> that you're actually working with or that you're grabbing coffee, coffee uh -huh. with. Um, I do think it's always nice if you also reach out to someone else to grab coffee. I mm -hmm. mean, I think everyone would always love it. I don't know if anyone would say no. Mm -hmm. um, and don't have the assumption that someone is too busy to meet. Mm -hmm. I think 
they will always be open to meeting with you. And just that initial conversation might spark a new friendship, a new collaboration or ideas because they might be focused and know something about the business that you don't know about because you don't work together day to day. Now, I, I know that you're also active um, on LinkedIn. How often do you, do you would you say you spend on the platform for relationship building? Oh gosh, I wish I spent more time sometimes. Really? Uh, yeah, I do get, LinkedIn is great at notifying when someone's reaching out to me, which drives me back into the platform. But I would say it's it's a great platform to use if you're looking to reach out to someone that you don't necessarily know in person yet. Mm. Uh, so I have used it in those ways. So I think I've used it maybe on a case-by-case basis for a specific purpose, but not necessarily... Uh, the way that I use Twitter, where I just engage more often in casual conversation day to day. Now, you, you're you a young leader. Have you ever had any issues managing people older than you? I don't know that I have. Um, <laughs> I do think I... You're so positive you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried that I don't know if I have had that issue yet. I just feel like... I'm trying to think of what this would be. I haven't necessarily thought about age as a way to judge like who I'm managing or not. Uh, I do think for me, I just look at relevant experience. Mm -hmm. And I do realize that um, what I love to look for is either rising stars, someone that has the excitement and passion and aptitude to really succeed in a specific area, or someone that has really deep expertise that you couldn't replicate with just um, any hire. And I think looking for those two different categories, it brings in a pretty diverse group and team bringing that together. Mm -hmm. I know that you jumped into Optify through, it was a relationship-driven decision, but then after that, did everything just happen organically or do you think at some point you started developing some type of parameters in your mind as far as where you wanted to work and grow your career, things like employee size and industry? Did you look at those things uh, as you started thinking about your next move? I think when I made the move from Optify, it was a little bit more organic. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved everything that I was working on at at Optify, it was the place where I had great mentorship. I got to work with a lot of different styles of leadership, which was valuable to understand. So early on in my career, how I can work with different leaders who have different communication and expectation styles. Uh, and I also really went deep in marketing tactical skills. Yes. And from then, it was, again, through another relationship where I got introduced to the team at Then Has Offers, now Tune. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was something where it was thoughtful about my career growth. At that time, it was kind of the height of social media. But then I felt like as a marketer, if you wanted to be successful and reaching the right person at the right time at the right message, mobile was the place where I wanted to gain that experience. Mm. And at that time, I even developed a, a little mobile app for Optify to kind of consolidate all of our social media feeds just to experiment with that channel. So I was interested in learning more. And that was just the opportunity 
that was there at um, has offers back then. And then the leadership there was also so strong too. Like mm-hmm. technical co-founders with this like really strong vision on how to change this industry that was also evolving at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now you, you were an individual contributor at Optify and you moved as an individual contributor to has offers and that's where you grew to becoming a manager and above, right? Right. All right. That's, now, one of the things that as I was uh, learning about you through some of the stuff uh, on the web is the your experience creating a premium conference. I thought it was really fun to watch. And what, what, was, what was the process like to, to put in one of an event like this? Like uh, I think it's called Postback. Mm-hmm. It is called Postback. It is called Postback. <laughs> yeah. That was actually one of the very first projects that I worked on when I first joined House really? Offers. Which with, you never done before. I had never done it before, but it was just one of the first ideas that came about. It was your idea. Uh, it wasn't my idea. So there were just uh, conversations internally around putting together some sort of customer event. Like, this would be a great project. And Postback came about within the first two months of me joining. And it did start smaller. So it was about 100 people. It was all focused on customers. How can we bring together customers, learn from them, educate them, and give them a community uh, to learn from each other? Mm-hmm. And then Everything you were doing before that, though, it was just digital mar- marketing tactics. And now you are in the event marketing space. Exactly. At Optify, we did a few events, but they were more sponsorships versus uh-huh. hosting our own events. Exactly. So this was something brand new to me, uh, but it was an exciting project. I think taking on something new for myself and for the company uh-huh. um, and kind of learning along the way. I would say a lot of it did come together last minute, but it is something where I think if you work with a team that really trusts you and realizes that things will improve and evolve over time, Postback Today is now a thousand people. It's held at McCall Hall. It's a two-day event. And it really has grown to something bigger, starting from something, just a small idea for customers. Now, let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit and then let's get tactical again. <laughs> you, some, uh, let's go back to that moment where Jennifer, we used to put an event with 100 people and you're like, oh, holy. <laughs> Something along those lines, but excited about it yeah. too. And you have a team of how many people helping you to put this together? Uh, there were about three people. Three people? Yeah. How do you go about it? Like in, I would say not like mini steps, but maybe in a macro level, like what, what was the first thing that you looked into? What were the biggest challenges through during that process to get to that result? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, kind of understanding what the goals and expectations are for the events. Uh And then from then, just putting together a work back plan. So doing some research, starting to maybe explore contractors and vendors because mm-hmm. we couldn't get get that together ourselves. And then I think as you start talking with contractors and vendors, they give you proposals and you see things on the proposal saying, oh, I didn't know I need stage rigging. I guess I should get that too. Mm. And you kind of learn from others because they're experts in that specific space or that function. Now, these uh, contractors, how did you go about finding them? Referrals or did you actually start Googling? As simple as Googling. All right. I probably Googled and contacted the first 10 people, (laughs) explained what I was trying to do. 
Um, and then I think one thing I recognize is the, the contractors and vendors that were helpful, not just giving you a quote of what you want, but kind of understanding what your needs are and giving you kind of more than than you specifically asked for because they know that you actually need this, this, and this when you only asked for that one specific thing was helpful. Did this this, uh, conference involve... How many days was the conference? This conference is only one day. One day. Did it involve food? It involved food. How did that go? Uh, As far as uh, how many people are going to come and were there any challenges with that part of the, the process and how did you deal with it? I think for food, uh, my recommendation, if that's what you would look for, is to think about dietary restrictions. Always ask that ahead of time. Uh We did have a couple of people where we weren't able to fully satisfy them because we just didn't have the right mix of food. Mm -hmm. I would always think about the quality of food because food is something that everyone always talks about post-events. And then also the quantity of food, making sure that you have enough food because if you don't have enough, that's also talked about too how did you track the impact that the event had for for has offers or tunes right it was for tunes Mm So the impact was actually looking at who we invited to the event Uh um who those customers actually attended the event and then we'd actually just track their behavior over time throughout the year so ultimately we would want to see them be more successful in partnering with us um and sometimes we would have like all of these great stories where a partner actually ended up doing business with another customer because they met at the event itself so some of those stories are actually the most impactful it's really hard to capture in marketing um but mm-hmm you do see some of those results. All right. That's what I was going to ask you because you probably uh, used to before that to track everything mm-hmm. where it is very specific what you're looking for and now this is getting a little more grayish. Uh, it is. And I think I'm always of the mindset where I want to measure and attribute everything exactly. in marketing <laughs> yes. except I do want to be realistic and understand will I make different decisions if I measure this or do I need to know the exact ROI or just directionally we may it was a 10x value versus 5x value. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's okay to say hey we know that this is going to be ROI negative but we still want to still want to do it also. But I think just being aware of that and knowing that that's the specific goal or expectation is just important. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, moving to your transition from Tune to Convoy, which was your latest career move. Uh, you've been you've been in Tune sure. for, for a while, and uh, how did Convoy get you to jump into their ship? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think this also goes back to early on, early on in growing up. So Convoy, we're in the trucking industry and transportation. Which is now very different. I, was, I would say not the, the path that you've been following, which is marketing and technology. Exactly. I've always been at technology companies that were inventing technology itself. And yeah. the transportation industry is very different from that. Uh-huh. But coincidentally, I actually have some experience in this industry mm-hmm. because growing up, when my, my parents, they were importing kitchen and houseware industries. Mm. So they have a warehouse in Bellevue. Mm-hmm. On the weekends in college and high school, my weekends were going to the warehouse with them, driving around forklifts, repackaging pallets, opening up the dock doors, um, signing bill of lading. So I actually knew new and aspect of this industry Mm -hmm. and when i met dan lewis the current ceo 
that was how actually, do you met him uh so i actually got introduced to him mutually by someone we both know um because he was looking for a cmo yeah because he was looking someone to lead marketing for the company oh wow right yeah and the industry was just interesting to me because I had this real experience of all of the complexities that go on in transportation, specifically trucking. I was just curious to learn more on how he was thinking about kind of transforming this industry that hasn't really been disrupted by technology. Uh, mm. A lot of the processes are very manual today. It is about relationships, uh, but there are aspects that can be more efficient uh, just because of technology and more data insights and visibility. What would you say have been the most successful overall during your career marketing channels as far as delivering results? I do think it depends on what kind of results, uh, whether it's Revenue. focused on acquisition <laughs> or engagement. I think defining uh, a funnel is one thing that a marketer should first do to kind uh -huh. of understand like where are the opportunities to deliver the most results? Is it to add more people top of funnel and focus on acquisition? Or is it to get customers to do more business with you? Because mm -hmm. I think first identifying the part of the funnel that you want to really impact is the first mm -hmm. important thing. And then after that, um, one thing that I've been thinking more about and uh -huh. I see as very successful is if you have a digital product, mm -hmm. being able to use the product itself as mm -hmm. a way to engage on the marketing side. I think now there's a lot of different technologies like Intercom mm -hmm. where you can actually message to a person while they're in your product. Maybe you give them access to a new feature. And then you can drive adoption in that way. Or you can prompt someone where they haven't logged in in 30 days and maybe you can highlight a new feature that they missed. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot that you could do in product messaging today that's really successful because you know so much about that specific user. Mm -hmm. I think another channel that still works, I want to say, is email. Uh, surprisingly, I think people still check their email and that is a way just to either send information or drive different behavior. Um, and then very top of funnel, I think exploring new forums like video. Video is a great way to get someone to consume information mm -hmm. just because it's so engaging. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I would like to open it up to let your mind go wild on the future of marketing right now. <laughs> Uh, obviously, there is no right answer, but what do you think the future of marketing looks like right now? <laughs> uh, the future of marketing. Uh, I do think one area of marketing that I'm really excited about still, uh -huh. and um, yeah, one area that I'm excited about is still some sort of really immersive experience with AR or VR. I think where you create a world where it doesn't feel like marketing, but you can create a personalized experience that you want to um, have someone experience. Mm. So I, I haven't seen actually like a lot of great applications yet, but I'm still excited for that. I think once content is a little bit more rich uh, with AR or VR, it's going to be used more by consumers. Mm -hmm. I think today the hardware is still a little bit clunky. The content itself still feels a little bit fake, like gamified. But I think once it really feels tangible and real, that's going to be a fun opportunity for marketers. Do you have any biggest professional heroes, heroes in marketing right now? 
I would say maybe in in business. Okay. In business, um, a top some top people. One person that I had a chance to meet this year that I really respect is Don Lepore. So she was actually she'd had a long career at Charles Schwab, mm-hmm. and she was the CEO of drugstore. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw her speak in a workshop about women being on boards. So today she's she serves on a lot of different boards, and I think hearing about her story and how she has approached. Um, her career growth was just something that was really inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Another person is likely Pete Carroll, okay. I think. Uh, so he actually and was, you I did meet him through one of the podcasts. Yeah, the po- he was, <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, a keynote speaker at Postback, uh-huh. and um, didn't get a chance to talk like too much in depth, but had a chance to have a conversation with him. And I do think just his mentality around coaching is is interesting for me. I, I read his book, went to one of his practices. And I think he has a lot of mental models that he shares with his players and even in some of the the talks that he gives that are ways that I have maybe always naturally thought, but not necessarily have articulated in the way that he's been able to articulate and share. Mm -hmm. Like he has this way of being able to get people on board and inspired to win without putting too much pressure or competitiveness. He mm. still keeps everything playful and, fl- and fun. Uh, and I love that mindset. I mean, that's the type of workplace that I would always love to work in. Everyone's always inspired to really deliver the best product, lead the category, but still have a great time day to day with their coworkers. We'll skip the third one because I want to ask you about Pete Carroll yeah. and the conference. How did you go about selecting him as a keynote speaker? Sure. Every year and for, getting him. Yeah. <laughs> well, every year for the conference, we think about like, what do we want the keynote message to be? Should it be around storytelling? And that was when we brought in uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Pete Carroll was around leadership. So as an aspect of marketing where it's not necessarily a top or trending uh, topic, but if one thing that marketers should care about is kind of like their leadership skills and leading the company with um, a marketing-driven mindset. And Pete Carroll just happens to be maybe here based in Seattle, kind of a little bit more top of mind. But reaching out to speakers, a lot of them do have agencies. So they'll reach out to their agent and see if they're available. What is your biggest gift to others? My biggest gift to <laughs> others. Um, is, are you looking for something tactical? Not tactical. Yeah. I will give you some example of uh, some of the answers that I hear, right? Mm-hmm. Some people say that their gift is empathy, their gift is love, their gift is perseverance. I mean, something that uh, that you think has been... Maybe some feedback that you got from people. Sure. Like, w- w- what it is that you hear back from people when they say Jennifer's Jennifer Wong's biggest gift, gift is... to others. Yeah. Okay. So I think one uh, maybe gift to others would be, you know, I always have the mindset that everyone else has the best intentions. So not trying to take something personally and just recognizing mm-hmm. that someone's actions or what someone says like they have probably the best intentions so that no one is quick to make like judgment love it what advice would you give to a new college 
grad about to enter the real world? I think my advice is to become an expert in something. I think it's great to explore a lot of different types of directions, but once you pick something, become the very best at it. Um, because that really does get recognized. And in today's world, you could be the best in the entire world and that could be recognized. But I think showing that you can uh, really do something really well and be committed and dedicated to that are just other skill sets that are going to be important in whatever you end up doing. Now, moving into, uh, this is one of my favorite parts, a series of rapid questions on how you work. Um, sure. Um, starting with, uh, what's your morning routine like? Morning routine. If you have any. <laughs> it, it's very simple, actually. I wake up about 6 to 6.30. All right. Get ready in about 15 minutes. Wow, And nice. then I'm out the door. There you go. Walking to work. No breakfast, nothing. N no breakfast. <laughs> All right. I walk to work and then I get a coffee and then I'm ready to go for the day. A current computer. I use a MacBook Air. I love it. <laughs> Current mobile device? An iPhone X. All right. App software tools that you really appreciate. <laughs> the apps that I really appreciate. I really love Spotify. Uh -huh. I really love Netflix. And the one that I use the most is probably Amazon. <laughs> All right. Uh, what everyday thing are you better at than everyone else or at least most people? You know, I'm really good at remembering people's names. Woo, powerful. <laughs> <laughs> That's the power of relationship building right there. Uh, what's your best time-saving life hack? I don't know if I have a great like, time-saving life hack, but I would say it's all about just prioritization. Because mm. then you're not wasting time on the wrong things. What's your workspace setup like? My workspace, oh, I want to say it's actually pretty messy. <laughs> I have a box of snacks. I have my laptop computer and probably like a cup of coffee right next to me. Pretty simple. What's your favorite to-do list manager or tool? I actually, <laughs> I actually need recommendations for this because my to-do list right now is just a... Uh, email drafts so i probably have a thousand email drafts right now mm. and as i get things done i delete the draft <laughs> interesting you use your email i use my email got it got it got it that's that's very interesting and then <laughs> what do you listen to while at work if you listen anything to anything You know, I actually don't listen to any music at work. For me, it is a little bit more distracting. Mm -hmm. So I I actually work in silence. In silence. If I really need to get work done. Do you work in an open space or is I work in an open space. Yeah. So for me, if I do want that casual interaction, there's people to talk to. Uh -huh. uh, if I I rarely have headphones in because I also think If people need to reach you for something, they don't know if they can or not. It is a little unwelcoming. And I always want to be able to be available yeah. when I'm in the office. And if yeah. I really need to do heads down work, I would just book a conference room. Yeah, you're better at that than me. I close my door. <laughs> 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 so, what, the, uh, what, what are you currently reading? currently reading oh should i take a look or listening look? to or listening to you know i am actually more of a reader than a listener uh -huh. i feel like i actually pay more attention uh -huh. um but i would say 
what is the last book I read? I did read this this year, or I guess in or the one that I just finished is called Platform Scale, uh-huh. and it's actually a great book to read if you're interested in how marketplaces grow. Wow, because it is something different. Because all of my career has been growth in a more linear scale. If you think about software companies, it's growing from point A to point B. For a marketplace, you actually create value in the network itself. So it's a different type of business model. Hmm. What's your sleep routine like? You know, I I actually go to sleep maybe around ten or eleven o'clock. Right. Uh, probably watch something on Netflix. <laughs>、uh, again, super simple. Uh, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? You know, I would say if I feel, I don't know if there's the moments. I think when I feel over overwhelmed, I do just think about: is it really overwhelming, or if I'm, do I just have the wrong perspective of this problem or of the situation? Because、hmm. I do think perspective is a a. Something where it actually affects if you feel overwhelmed or not, because in the larger scope of things, is this really something that I should be concerned or worried or overwhelmed about, or is it just kind of an emotional feeling of that moment? Hmm. Now, on a hard day, how do you comfort yourself? What's your pep talk to comfort myself on a hard day? You know, I think it's gratitude. So knowing that a lot of the times, if it's a hard day, I just recognize that I should appreciate that I have the opportunity to make these hard decisions, because a lot of people would want that opportunity. So just having a moment of gratitude. In the last three years, what have you become better at saying no to? I have been better at. Saying no to, or I guess for it's probably another personal one where I do spend less time just drowning in the internet, like scrolling on Pinterest or Instagram. I think I'm better at self-regulating and saying no to just the internet wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and what's something that most people don't know about you? Oh man, I'm trying to think of what most people don't know about me. I feel like there's so many simple things that people don't know about me. I think maybe, um, or I guess assume I assume that most people know everything about me. Something that came up, I guess, just yesterday at work that we're surprising about people is how often I eat out in Postmates. Probably around twenty days a week, <laughs> I eat out or Postmates. <laughs> All <laughs> right, all right. So for those so who fun, didn't know fun that, fun fact there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Now before、uh, we go to the last question, as we're about to end the episode, where can people find you online? What's the best place to reach you? Yeah, I want to say I'm actually very easily easily found online.、Uh, so my username across almost everything is Generation Y with the J. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> so if you look for that, it's probably me. All right, and I will include links to the show notes to facilitate for those interested in contacting you. Now, the last question is <laughs> called the, the three truths.、Uh, if today was your last day on earth and everything you've created was all to disappear, you've never worked a tune, convoy, nothing, and but、uh, 
no, all your notes are gone. There's no way to track you. <laughs> <laughs> but you could leave your loved ones and the world behind with three with three truths about life. What would those be? Sure. I think it's interesting because I feel like we actually naturally ended up talking about a couple of them that I would think about. I think one is around the value of time. Like knowing that I consciously think about how I want to spend my time um, and that I always want to or strive to make time for the things that are important for me in life. Mm. And that might change day to day or today versus next year. But no matter what, like today, I'm going to make make time for the things that are important. So I'd say that's one. Um, another is... I think around actions, I, I do believe that for me personally, actions do speak louder than words. I think um, people can say a lot of things with passion and you want to believe them. But if for some reason their actions are different than that, I would actually bias and believe what their actions say versus their words. So I always also try to either align what I say with my actions or really emphasize my actions because I feel like that's actually what's important. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third, I think this is something that probably is instilled from one growing up but I do believe it's around the concept of happiness I think for me one thing that my parents always tell me and that I, I do think about more and more today is that they just want me to be happy I think maybe a lot of parents say that but it is something that I think happiness is a, a decision it's a choice that you can make. So if you're dedicated to being happy, I think others see that. And then you kind of instill this happiness in them also. Hmm. So make time for the most important things in life. And I'm usually good at this. Actions. <laughs> Action speaks uh, louder than words. Mm -hmm. And be happy. It is a choice that you can make. Yeah. Thank you for your help. This is the first time I need a support for this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with me, Thank Jennifer. Thank you so much for inviting me. And that was my interview with Jennifer Wong. A couple of quick announcements before you leave. For reference, you can access these episode's notes alongside other resources at bit.ly slash BTS EP024. Again, that's bit.ly slash BTS EP024. And if you're listening in, this, uh, in iTunes, you can actually click on the episode's website button on your screen. Finally, if you enjoy listening to this interview, the best way to support this podcast, literally the best way, is by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to live a life that moves you. <laughs> <laughs>